Thank you, choir. That's one of my favorite songs. It's beautiful. You know. <clears throat> the baptism of Jesus is the topic of the day. And we want to think about our own baptisms and give you the opportunity before the service is over to renew yours. The baptistry will be here in the front so you can reach it. Uh, at the close of the service, you can touch, your, touch the water or the baptistry if you like and kneel and pray. That comes at the end. How do we get ready for big changes in your life? You say, Glenn, there's a lot of answers to that. Some things you really have no choice over. They just come. There's no real preparation for them. They just happen. Others, you don't see them. You see them coming and you can make plans. I guess the first big change I can remember is the first day of school. Back then, it was actually the first grade. Now, that's about the third grade nowadays, isn't it? They've already been in two years. But the first grade, six years old, went into uh, my classroom. The teacher happened to have also been the teacher for my two oldest brothers. My parents and her were on first-name basis. And came around to seating everyone in their seats in alphabetical order. She sat me down, called my name, sat me down, looked at me and said, Glenn... I know everything about you. I mean, that was a sinking feeling in a six-year-old's heart, like you can't hide a thing from me, you know. Her name was Miss Lamb, and she wasn't. She was not a lamb. She was a, she was a loud-voiced, great first-grade teacher. But how do you get ready for change? Maybe that time when a child has grown up and began to leave home, I mean, for the first time. I'm not quite sure about second, third, fourth, but the first time. Maybe it's uh, after high school, on to college, or after high school, on to the military, or on to some career changes. It is uh, a hard change for everybody. Or maybe that time when you move away from where you've, been, you've grown up all of your life, and you have to make new friends, come to a new city, find a new church, and figure out what it is about life that you're going to make sure continues not because someone else made it or because it was always there. Big moments like when you find that right person, you ask them and you choose to share your life with someone else and get married. That is a great moment requiring great change. Of course, I think having children in the various stages of their life is another example of changes we sometimes look forward to. But let's stop and look at the topic of the day. The great change of baptism isn't marked in the same way. You would say a, a baptism, you'll still go back and live in the same house and be, have the same family around you, the same routines will probably continue for a while, but things change. It becomes different. Jesus' baptism happens to come at that uh, time when he is going to uh, begin his public ministry. To that point, we know very little about his life, our um, looking at his life, guesses he was about 30 years old. He would have probably been at home caring for the family after his father's death. It would have been the eldest child, eldest son, and would have cared on that responsibility. But now comes the time he's well aware he needs to begin that public ministry. And it is at his baptism that it happens. Baptism makes a difference in the way it changes life around us and who we are. He didn't come because he was a sinner, but because he will reach out to all who are sinners. His baptism um, led Jesus into the way God had planned him to live 
a ministry, and a mission for all of us. It was and is God's affirmation of what He wants to do with His life. I thought of it this way. When, when people were baptized by John in that day, it was different from the baptism we share in here. It was in the, using kind of the description of a meal. John's baptism was something like the appetizer. It was meant to make people know there was a hungering in them to give you a taste of where the nourishment is for that hunger and want the main course that's going to follow. Of course, the main course is Jesus and His uh, power of forgiveness and the new life He offers for us. It has a lifetime of description held in it, but that is, after all, the main course where nourishment happens and the power to live out our lives effectively happens. And then, to me, the, uh, the dessert uh, is the kingdom to come. And it's going to be savored with others for a long time. But it brings us again back to baptism. It's said in Luke's description of Jesus' baptism that the people were expecting the Messiah. It was in that kind of environment that Jesus found himself. And that is good in one way, and he'll find another not so good. Good that people were in tune in hopes that God was about to bring about a great change in the life and world around them. And you and I also believe in our baptism that God is already working in the world around us. He's just drawing us into that work. It's not starting afresh the day we begin. It's already in play for generations before us, and we know we'll be yet in generations after us. That's the way God works. He is playing at play, making it work for them and for us. And But the expectations of people in that day were not all of what Jesus planned to live into. He knew it would be different, and it would take them a long time to understand it. Maybe at our baptism, we're not so sure exactly what the Christian life is or what it's going to ask of us or what God is going to do in magnificent ways or how God is going to guide us through the most trying and troubling of times, but we believe He is going to do it. Back to Jesus' baptism. It doesn't tell us in Luke's gospel about the baptism itself. It doesn't say went out in the water. It doesn't say that John was baptizing when he came up out of the water. It just says John baptized him. Then it says, then we get those words of response from God's Spirit descending and what God says. Now, Clarence Jordan wrote a book called The Cotton Patch Gospels. In it, he described, he translated this verse using a vernacular of the South. He said this, The sky split. The Holy Spirit in the shape of a dove came down upon him. And a voice came from the sky saying, You are my dear son. I am proud of you. I like that. I am proud of you. They're really cherished words by any child heard from their parents. Now, I think even when children are pushing the envelope in the age with parents, there are times in their life they'll do that to us parents, you know. Even then, they really yearn to hear a parent say, I am proud of you. It may be because they have crossed a great mark. They have... Uh, Graduated, they have uh, accomplished something, they've done something right in their manners, in their caring for others, and you're 
able to say, you've done well, I am proud of you. But maybe even as we hear that word, you'd want to say uh, this other description, but don't get the big head about it. That is, don't begin to think that because I'm proud of you at the moment, all that I expect of you is over and done. There's a lot more yet to come. When Alabama won the national championship uh, recently in the game, the coach afterward was talking and said, I'll give them two days to celebrate. Did you hear that? Two days. He said, after that, we get on to what is next year. And his quote was, history doesn't make us a winner. He's saying to us, if we're going to be uh, accomplished that in the future, it's because we'll work ahead toward it. Baptism is not a description of an end work that God is doing in us, but a beginning work. And so we don't celebrate it as though we have crossed some finish line. We don't get the big head over it, but it is true when he says, I am proud of you. I'm proud of you as the church. I, we have not put in print kind of the ending celebration of last year. And I'll give you st some statistics soon on the uh, mail out and in the bulletin about it. But, but let you know that while we had been tight all year on finances, and that was kind of the theme of the whole year. Maybe that was a theme at home for most of us too. But we got to the end of the year and through the generosity, faithfulness of this congregation, we had a great end to the year and were able to accomplish most of our goals, we got within three-fourths of our apportionments, satisfying all of our uh, other obligations for the year, and now we're in a new year. And I'll give you 30 minutes to celebrate it. And then I'm going to say to you, we're in a new year now. It's time to move on. There's something new that God's going to use about. It's great to celebrate, but now it's time to move on. What are our expectations the worst thing is to have none. What would it be like to have a parent who is neither proud of you nor ever disappointed by you? What happens? Have you had a parent say to you, I'm disappointing you? Maybe it happens when uh, you didn't come home with the right kind of grades on your report card. You know, the kind they would say, I would say to my children, you are fully capable of doing better. You know, and I'm disappointed you have not done that. Meaning you've not set priorities and taken care of the business. You let it slide. And they let you know that's not where you're supposed to be. And you can do better. Disappointment is not a shameful thing that you're not worth anything. It is a word of encouragement that you can and should do better. It's because a parent loves you that they offer both kinds the disappointment at times to tell you and will say to you, I am proud of you. There is a looking forward in Jesus' baptism of what God is doing, that God is proud of him already, but there's more to come. All that we hear in the ministry of Jesus, his teachings, miracles, his death and resurrection, all yet in the future. But God says already, I am proud of you. I believe saying you have stepped up to the moment. You put aside that life that was the average life of others and taken on what I have planned for you all along. And because of that, the world will change. But what comes next? Public ministry, uh, what comes next for Jesus, doesn't happen just because of the baptism. 
If you aren't careful in reading the story, you'll miss it. In Luke's story, the uh, coming of the Holy Spirit and the response that I am proud of you comes after Jesus prays, not after He is baptized. Hmm. It's not just that He came and was baptized by John that Jesus that God is pleasing him, but it's as Jesus kneels and prays, he takes on that relationship with his father that says, I'm in your hands and what you want of me. In a few moments, a few minutes, you come down, and you know that God's I am proud of you may come at the end of the prayer. Not just as our hand is on the water. It's when you give yourself, we give ourselves to him and ask him what does he want? And we give ourselves to Him that new beginnings start happening in our life. That we become a new kind of people. Jesus wants us to pray. And to pray for each other. But we also know that as much as another may pray for us, it is no substitute for our own need to pray. It's in our prayers that God's will is found. In opening the Scriptures we begin to hear what He has to say. And our baptism becomes most real to us. I find each year when I do this that just like you, I want to place my hands on the water. I want to remind myself this is where my faith began. If you ask me which one is more important to me, my ordination as a pastor or my baptism, I'll always say to you it is my baptism. For my ordination would mean nothing. It would be confusing if it were not for my baptism. For all of us who are in the clergy or just like you, we are all ministers in the faith. We all have a work to do, a call that God puts on our lives. Baptism is a time we say to God, I come to you to give you myself. And I say before the world and others, this is where I stand. That makes baptism important. It's not, uh, I give myself to Him not to a bystander, but we give ourselves to the plan that God has for us. We, we choose when we are baptized to say, I want to be more like you. More like you in my everyday life. And believe, Lord, that you have a plan for us. Uh, when I do baptism with confirmation classes, I, I tell them you have the choice of how much water you want us to use. You know that? I say... In our sanctuary, of course, we have the small baptistry. If we're going to place uh, it on the top of your head, we can do that. If you want to, we can pour it over you. Now, we can't do that in the sanctuary. It would get all over the floor. Or we can use a baptistry or we can uh, use a pool to immerse you completely. And sometimes it is uh, very much a strong feeling in a particular confirmation. I want to be immersed. And I, on occasion, in other locations... Uh, had a friend who was a Baptist preacher, and I would go and borrow their baptistry. They love for a Methodist preacher to come say that. You know, they really do. They will rag you the rest of the year, and they'll joke with you, well, that was mine, isn't it? I said, no, 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 that's not yours. <laughs> I told you you'd do it right if you came over here. No, 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 no. I'm just telling you we can do it all the ways. I don't know what your choice was. I don't know whether it was a little water or, or in the middle or a lot of water. I know the first time I got in the baptistry with someone... And I didn't quite know how the boot thing worked. You know, the hip boots should work for me. And I got soaked along with the person being baptized. I learned you keep the top above the water. If you don't, those things fill up. Now, they don't do you much good if they fill up with water. 
But the baptism is an important starting point. It's a point where I say to God, I want a new beginning. I don't measure it all out. I'm not always certain of what you're going to ask of me. But I'm certain of you. And that's good enough. And with that, our lives begin to change. For the best. And don't we all yearn to hear these words from him? I'm proud of you. When you come in a few moments and you kneel and pray, I hope you hear that voice say to you, I'm proud of you. I know that his love is that strong. He hasn't uh, quit on you at any point. He hasn't decided that baptism's enough and walked away. But his hands is upon us at all times. Remember, you come, the baptistry will be opened. You can touch the baptistry itself. You can touch the water. And you can kneel. Now, if you have not been baptized, come and pray. But when you're ready for baptism, come let us know. It's not a self thing. I baptize myself. But I remember my baptism. You're all invited to come. As always, in the last response of the hymn, the last stanza, and we'll probably sing this through more than once, those who wish to come and unite with the church may come forward also. Would you pray with me? Now, Father, your love and your kindness is measured in many ways. Sometimes in the stories of everyday life for each one of us. Memories, we call them. Lord, maybe the common memory for us today is our baptism. Some ways, a starting point for our journey of faith. Maybe long after the introduction, but a moment when we're telling the whole world that we belong to you. And saying to other Christians around us that we're in this together. Thank you, Father, for accepting us and loving us. Knowing exactly what we need. And giving it that we in turn may learn to give. In Christ we pray. Amen.